0: to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Well, hey, welcome to a brand new series called Good God. If you have something to take notes with, pull that out right now. You should have received a weekly when you came in today. Uh, I know that it's like, back-to-school time. Y'all look wore out because your kids are beating you up. And so I'm here for you. This is therapy for you. I get it. But you're a little bit too quiet today. So so I'm going to take you through the preacher role. You ready? Everybody say amen. amen. Everybody say preach it. preach it. What am I going to say next? Go ahead and say preach it, white boy. It. That, that's, I, I need some feedback today because y'all look beat. Welcome to back-to-school. and And we're going to help you out with all of that, especially if you have teenagers. If you have teenagers, this Wednesday, New Chapel is officially launching our student ministry, and I am excited about that. Are you excited too? Yeah. So here's what we're encouraging you to do is to get your young people here at 630. You can pick them up in between 830 and 9 o'clock on Wednesday here at the church. We are transforming this whole area. We have all kinds of awesome uh, game room things that we're bringing in. It's going to be great. Pastor Brian is going to be preaching. You excited about that? It's going to be pretty good. Yeah. Every one of you, you want your daughter to marry a boy just like Pastor Brian, and so I see that hand, and so uh, make sure, he's not available, I'm just, but that's a different sermon, Uh, but make sure to have your young people uh, here at the church, 6.30 on Wednesday. I'm going to be here as well, many of our leaders are, we're investing a lot into that day, and so if you're a teenager, buckle up, it's going to be a great time. Uh, Also, I want to let you know about next week, everybody say next week? Next week, New Chapel is celebrating our ninth birthday. Is that cool or what? Yeah. And so we're going to be celebrating. And when New Chapel doesn't know how to celebrate, we eat food. And so we're going to have cake and cheesecake and donut. I have no idea what we're going to have. It's going to be delicious. But we're going to be celebrating. Make sure to come out for that. That's a great plus one weekend to invite friends and family to. Uh, hey, if you have your Bibles, if you could open with me to the book of Hebrews. By the way, gentlemen, it is scriptural that men should make coffee, for the scripture says Hebrews. Um, <laughs> I'm going to keep on saying corny jokes as long as you laugh, everybody. So new series, Good God, and, and the idea is that there's a lot of variables, right? This time of year, there's a lot of change. And if you've been around the block long enough, you've seen style change, you've seen music change, and just like we played in those, those, those music hits, some of you are like, oh, I know that one. And then you like got lost towards the end. Like I have no idea what they're playing. But, but, but that is something that happens in our life is that we go through seasons and cycles and rhythms of life. But there is a consistent element to it all. And I believe it's the goodness of God. And in this series, I want to bring his goodness to you. I think it's so important that we hold on to it, especially in a culture and in a world that is changing so much. Can I hear an amen somebody? I heard a story about an elderly lady, and she reached the spot in her life where she was ready to retire. And so she wanted to be a snowbird. She wanted to fly down south to Florida and and give God a winter break offering in Jesus' name. And she had an RV, and so she was calling different campgrounds down in the Florida Uh, panhandle, and they're they're trying to, like, figure out where she should go and which one was best, and she was very organized with everything. She finally found one that she was, like, dead set on. In fact, had some friends that were there at a previous time, hadn't been there in years, but she knew that it had a good reputation, but she didn't know everything about it. And so she sent an email to the director of the campground, and she wrote, and and she was a very old-fashioned lady, very astute woman, and, and she wanted to know if they had modern toilets at this place but she she's just she's a very astute woman she was a teacher she's like i'm not gonna say toilets this feels like a naughty word you know and so she she's typing and she's laboring over this email and she's like well do they have modern bathroom commodes and then she's, she's no that that doesn't sound right she even felt dirty about saying the word commode i mean this is the type of person this is and so she she abbreviated it and she sent this this email to this director and says do you have modern bc like b.c And that's the email she flew off and the director of this campground received the email but there was no phone number and so he's asking around some of the other people at the campground he's asking uh, some of the people that he knew he asked his wife nobody had any idea and he had a wild idea he said bc maybe she means baptist church maybe that's what she means and so this is the email that he sent back to her dear madam I take pleasure to inform you that the B.C. is located nine miles north of camp. It's capable of seating 250 people at one time. I admit it's quite a distance if you're in the habit of going regularly, but no doubt you'll be pleased with the great number of people that take lunches with them and make a day of it. The last time my wife and I went was six weeks ago. It was so crowded. We had to stand up the whole time. I would like to say it pains me very much not to be able to go more regularly. But it's surely not for lack of desire. As I grow older, it seems more and more of an effort to go regularly. However, if you come down, I'd be happy to go with you for the first time, sit with you, and introduce you to everyone. It's a very friendly community. What's happening there? First of all, you just mortified an old lady, but but beyond that, some pretty drastic miscommunication, yeah? And I believe that when we bring out a subject like the goodness of God, there's some pretty significant miscommunication about what that even means. Some people have experienced things in life. They've attributed that to God, and they, they redefine what's good in order to make what happened fit in that spot. There's people that have a, a skewed perspective. There's churches that have given a bad representation of the goodness of God. Even our insurance policies. You know that rider that they have acts of God? And it's different things like natural disasters and huge accidents. God has nothing to do with anything like that. Nothing at all. But yet there's miscommunication about it. And so when we say that God is good, people, they yeah, I agree with that. But it's sometimes a little bit tricky when you face life. When you face difficult things. I believe that when you leave church today, you're going to leave and say, I needed that. More than most of my messages. I think you'll leave here and say, man, that was something I needed clarity on. God, thank you. Because why? We go through stuff. We live in a very real world. We face awful things. And maybe you're in this place and you're going through a difficult circumstance or maybe you're discouraged. Maybe what you're facing feels insurmountable. Maybe you're facing something that almost seems impossible. And, and, and you begin to question, like, this is too big. I don't know if I can get through this. And then people turn to God, even good people. And they say, God, if, if nothing's impossible for you, where are you? If, if you're good, I need your help. I need you to move this mountain that's in front of me. And people face insurmountable circumstance, and they end up facing it in a way that it makes them doubt elements of God, or at least security in God, that they can't trust him. And I want to help you with that today. If you can leave with a deep and resounding trust in your God, I did my job. Are you with me, everybody? And so I want to ask you a question. This is uh, an all play, but I'm going to ask you not to say anything out loud. You might embarrass yourself. Uh, The question is this, can God do Anything that he wants, don't answer. Because I think a lot of people, when they face the awful things, they're like, "God can do anything he wants," and they would they would answer it. And I would say that is wrong. What y'all look at me like I fell out of a tree? Let me help you with that before you start Googling how to tar feather and run your pastor out of town. Uh, I, I want to show you in the Bible. What I mean by that, but God God is not flippantly doing just whatever He wants. He can't just do anything. And here's the key to this: there's a direct link in between what I'm gonna bring to you in this short list and your, your perspective and the true clarity on the goodness of God. So four things God can't do. Number one, write this down. God cannot lie. Write that down. God cannot lie. Hebrews 6. It is impossible for God. To lie. God is not a liar. In fact, the scripture actually says that the enemy of your soul, Satan, is the father of lies. God doesn't have in him something he cannot do to you. He doesn't leverage deception in your life to try to trick you into something. It's not bait and switch with God. It's impossible for him to lie. That means that God could probably never run for public office. He would be an awful politician because he can't lie. If you don't think that's funny, you don't. Have a TV. Okay, number two. Four things God cannot do. Number two, God cannot break his word. He cannot do it. What does the Psalms say? My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Has gone out. In other words, it's not under amendment. He's not going to change his mind about it. He said it, and that's what he said, and he's not going to break or alter the word of God that he put out there. God cannot break his promises. God cannot break his word. Now, if you're in here and, and you came from a background that really emphasized the sovereignty of God, I will tell you, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I really do. Now, sovereignty means that God is first. It doesn't mean that he's mechanically controlling everything. But if you were a person that emphasized the sovereignty of God, you say he can do anything he wants, well, that statement also means that he can do whatever he wants and choose to limit himself to his word. Am I right? Well, that's true, isn't it? And so God cannot break his word. Number three, four things God cannot do. Third thing is God cannot do evil. Write that down. Big deal. Because you will face some evil in this world. The devil will be knocking at your door and at mine. And, and, and you need to realize it's not from God. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says this. Let no one say when he is tempted... I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anybody. So God is not bringing evil into your life as a test. That's a great litmus test on the things that we go through, yeah? If it's evil, if it's destructive, this is not God testing you. Now, can God leverage it? Absolutely. Different message. But God is not causing that evil to come into your life, and he's not any partner In all of it. And the truth is that we face heinous, awful, heart-wrenching circumstances in this world. And if you think that those things are coming from God, you are going to be very confused, discouraged. You will undermine God because you'll, you'll have a resistance to this. There's something in your heart, eternity's there, that says this should not be. And you'll fight against it. You'll buck against it. Wherever there is evil in the world, rest assured... It is not from God. Can I hear an amen, church? And so I don't look at what happens in the world to interpret God. And that's the basis that so many people confuse themselves and whole denominations have spun off from. Instead, I look to the word of God to base what my perspective and worldview should be, my, my, my perspective on God, my theology of him. I base that on the word of God, and then I can filter the word or I'm sorry, the world through that. Does that make sense? Write that down. Don't interpret God through the lens of what you experience in the world. Interpret God through what he's revealed in the word. You need to see this world through that lens. If you do it backwards, you're setting yourself up for a lot of heartache. I don't know what's going on around me and, 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 and when we face things that, that in this culture, like we don't understand it all, when you see that evil, know that God has no part in it. Now, fourth thing is this. Write it down. God cannot lie. God cannot break his word. He cannot do evil, and God cannot change. Malachi, the Italian prophet, I told myself I wasn't going to say it, but I did anyway. He says, I am the Lord, and I do not change. God cannot change. You say, well, what if he just decided to? No, no, no. He decided who he was gonna be. He's not gonna change because God's perfect. God's a 10 out of 10. If God golfed, his score would be 18. You know what I mean? It's like a it's a hole in one every single time, right? Like he's perfect in every way. He's not messed up like some of us. He's never had to apologize. He's never had to say, I'm sorry, forgive me. Never because he is absolutely perfect, he's never failed, he'll never fail in the future. And he'll never end in all of it. Your God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because he is perfect, he's not changing. He decided that he's not going to change. Say amen, somebody. When Kaya gave birth to our fourth child, our only girl, we had four kids that were four and under. And we figured out what was causing that, and we really tried to curb that problem, but... um, (laughs) Uh, I remember shortly into that whole progression, Kai is changing like a billion diapers. And you've got a mixture. We had Irish twins. I don't even call them that. They're Italian twins in my book. But they were 364 days apart. And so you had one that kind of looked like road apples and the other one still in mustard phase. Come on, parents, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Kaya's changing all these diapers. And finally she just cries out to God, God, would you help me to change one of these diapers? And she heard the voice of the Holy Spirit say, I am the Lord, and I change none. Write that down. Write that down. I told you I'm a dad of four, right? I have the right to make jokes like that. Okay. Better move on before you get Google out again. Uh, what are you saying? It's the crux of this whole series. Write it down. God is good. What does the scripture say? First Chronicles 16. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Everybody. He's good. He's a good God. He could have he could have chose to be any kind of God that he wanted to be. He could have been a bad God, and you'd be wise to serve him because he's God. I hear people every once in a while like, I could never serve a God like that. Does it really matter? Does it now? I mean, we should find a way to make him happy, even if he's bad or you think he's bad or you don't agree with him. Like, let's get on the same page with him. And now, fortunately, he's not a bad God. He's a good God. He's a merciful God. We just read. And, and we give thanks for that, but God's goodness is a decision. It's a character point. It's who he is. He cannot lie, He cannot break his word. He's not tempted by evil. He won't perform evil. He'll never break his word. And why? Why is it so important that we bring this up? Spend a couple weeks talking about it. Here's the reason. If you don't have a clear understanding of the goodness of God it will undermine the foundation of your entire walk with God. Your faith will be undermined. You'll think the wildest things about him. You'll attribute good things to the devil. You'll look at this world and and get a fairly uneasy feeling because you'll think that God is controlling all of this evil that we see. And, And the reality is we live in a fallen world, an evil world, and we can't look at this world and try to understand God. Guys, God is good. And if we don't understand that, we're going to be messing with our faith in a big way. The Bible says that the just shall live by faith, right? That, that we walk by faith, not by sight. Scripture says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so if you, if you have this skewed perspective of the goodness of God and it's undermining your faith, you will be aimless and wandering in your walk with God. You'll have a shaky walk with God at best because you won't know what to believe, because your belief will be based on what you've heard and not what you read, not what you've heard out of the word of God. Say amen, somebody. Four things I want to share with you today, four thoughts on the goodness of God. Number one, God is good. Number one, I can trust God. Write that down. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lead not unto your own understanding in all your ways, the Bible says, acknowledge him, And he will direct your paths. And when I read that passage of scripture, I thank God that it doesn't say understand the Lord with all of your head. Because there's some things that God does. I can't wrap my mind around. I don't understand it. There's some things he's called me to do that in its infancy or in the first steps that he's called me to on that journey. I had no idea where this thing was going. I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't know why I'm sowing this seed. I, we have a bill, God. Why are you calling me to sow this? I, I have no idea why you've called me to invest in this person. Or I, don't, I have no idea why you've called me to move to this city, God. I thought Grand Rapids, by the way, was New Jerusalem. You know, why plant a church in the holy city of Grand Rapids? But, but I see now what God has done. Grand Rapids, yes, has some great churches. But it's also a very religious city. And it needs people that know the real Jesus Needs to have a mission on the northwest side of town to reach people that are far from God. Can I hear an amen, somebody? But you don't have to understand everything that God is doing. You can just trust him. Trust him. (laughs) Trusting God is powerful. When he asks something of me that I can't figure out, I'll pray to him and I'll be like, God, it doesn't make sense to me, but I know you. And I know you don't change your mind about things, and I know that you're good. I know that you're not lying to me. I know it's not bait and switch where you're playing with evil with me. I trust you, so I trust the step that you've called me to. Does that make sense? And so I don't know where he's always leading me, but I know who is leading me, and that is enough. You should write that down. We have this trust in our heart that is built with God, and, and when you can trust him, trust his, his, his actions and his directions, trust his word explicitly, because he'll never leave you and forsake you, and he's not leading you, to a bad, evil end. And though he may lead you through the valley of the shadow of death, trust that God on the other end of all of that has, as Psalm 23 says, green pastures, still waters, and that he himself will restore your soul. Can I hear and amen? You can do better than that. Come on. Get, give God praise. He's good in that way, everybody. Imagine for a minute that you were to establish a trust. That you were trying to get your affairs in order for if you were to die prematurely or even if you lived a long, ripe life, you wanted to get a trust in order. And it, and it was going to deal with your finances and, and different payments and, and who would have uh, custody of your kids if you died before they were 18. and. And you're setting up this trust so that your possessions went a certain place after you died or stayed in trust. And you're figuring all these things out. And and you eventually get to the spot where the person who's helping you to set up this trust says, well, you need somebody to be your executor. In this example, I want you to limit everybody in your family down to two people. In fact, I'm going to tell you who the two people are. You are, today only, related to Mother Teresa, okay? She's alive and well. You're related to Mother Teresa, and she's willing to be the executive of your state. There is another candidate. It is your gross hillbilly uncle. He is a redneck from up north. He just got out of prison after a stream of bank robberies. Uh, he's stinky, okay? And and he doesn't wear clothes that match, and we think that he has kicked the dog when we weren't looking. Okay, so you have two candidates on that list. Who do you choose? Right. God bless you. You're not from, like, Comstock Park. You can answer that quickly, everybody. Like, it's, it's Mother Teresa could be the executor. You don't have to even think about that. Why? She's trustworthy, and she's dependable, and she's selfless. She's Mother Teresa. And you're... St- <laughs> You just think, you are not even helping me out at all. I am just, it's funny to me, I don't know. But you'd go with her, and it's like a no-brainer. And so you think like, wow, that's great. We just arrived at something. How could you trust Mother Teresa with your estate, but yet we choke sometimes trusting God with our eternity or with our daily life? Do you see? <laughs> it's the only time somebody's ever taken me up on that, by the way. <laughs> Edit that out of the podcast, just... uh for my sake, but (laughs) why would you trust Mother Teresa over God Almighty? Because somebody gave you a bad perspective of the goodness of God. Some church gave you the bad perspective of the goodness of God. You don't trust him explicitly, and friend, you can trust him with everything. Say amen, somebody. Number two, we got to move on. God is good. Number two, I can build faith in God's word, and I mean it this way, what he says, yes, what's written, but also how God leads, how he's directing us. I can build faith in that. Why? Because he won't break his word. He's not changing his mind about it, everybody. I find it interesting uh, how many things that people just have trust in, they have faith in, in this world, and, and yet they, they kind of put into question things of God. Uh, it's kind of like when you were cutting me off on the way into church today, and uh, you blasted into this place. I just wonder if some of you, like before you got into your car this morning, checked the brakes in your car. Like spent time, 15 minutes, like really investigating it, Googling how brakes work. No. You just got in and by faith, you drive on 131, which takes faith on its own. And, and then you're in a car and you just trust brakes. You don't know the person that designed them. You don't know the other guy that, that installed them. You don't know the dealership that serviced them. You have no idea about any of that, but you just get in your car, hit the keys, and you zip down the road. And, and we have history. Like, we can look up accounts of where brakes have failed, and yet God has never failed. God has never let us down. But we put our faith in natural things, our trust in there. How can we trust somebody that we've never met, yet struggle to have faith in God who's never lied, who has never changed, and here's the big one, never broke his word, his word you can build faith in his work. It was actually the first deception, the first lie, the temptation that Satan brought against mankind. Satan tried to tempt Eve in the Garden of Eden, and when he went to her, he tempted her, and and he was saying something to the effect of, did God really say? And then he said, you know, it's not true. You know, God... God knows that if you eat of this fruit, you know, you'll be like him. And he's undermining what's happening in this temptation. He's making an implication that God is holding out. That God is not who he's conveyed himself to be. That you can't trust him. That God is not good. And that same deception is on repeat through all generations of mankind. This undermining that, okay, he's called me to do whatever, but I can't trust this. That's a hard one, isn't it? The first lie was to question two things. Yes, the word of God, but the character of God. It's questioning the word of God, whether or not God will restrain himself to what he said in his word, or whether he's rogue and he'll just do whatever he wants. And it was calling into question the character of God, his very nature whether God was good or whether he was not, and Satan has tempted us since the beginning with the same thing. Listen to me. I know him. I know what God would say. I know what God would think. I know what God would do in a circumstance. It's not because I'm so brilliant and I have the edge on him. Listen to me. It's because I've read the Bible, and he's conveyed who he is in the Bible. I've seen him in this book. And because I can see that, I can take character out of that. And you can trust that. You don't have to think he's going to be rogue and do whatever he wants. He's going to do what he said he was going to do. And we can trust his word and he's good. Say amen, somebody. Somebody comes into church and they say, well, I need more of God. Dig into the scripture. There's people that come into this place and say, well, pastor, I have a habit. And it's been eating me up. Well, the Bible says that he has power. ...to give you, and you're never going to be tempted beyond a measure that you could be able to stand against. Maybe you feel like God is far away. Friend, he's closer than the air you breathe right now. He's not. In fact, the scripture says that he's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Maybe you're battling confusion, and the world is just making you dizzy with their philosophy. And maybe a theology you grew up with, and you're like in between. You're confused. The Bible says that the entrance of his word gives light. He wants, to get, he wants to illuminate those confused places. You might need help to get started, help to grow. Go to New Chapel Connect during second service. Like, go. If, you, if you're like, man, I really need to grow. We're just getting back to church, get back in this week of things. Go to New Chapel Connect. It's in the hallway on the other side of that wall. They have breakfast for you, and you can leave your kids back in kids' church in Jesus' name. God bless them. They'll be fine. They need the message twice, by the way. And you can take these initial steps into understanding the purpose that God has for you. Maybe you need to join a group. But like God's word has the answer. I feel overwhelmed, Pastor Joe. I feel, I feel frustrated, and I struggle to begin this journey. This may, not, might not mean a ton to you today, but write this down and hold this in your heart. When you engage in God's word, there will come a time in your walk with him where your closest friends will be words Where you will have to hold on a scripture and stand on that with everything in you And you might not have the whole committee of people that are celebrating you and cheering you on But you have one word from him that you can stand on and friend I have gone through such situations and I will tell you Not that bad To stand on the word of god was actually a thrill I gotta move on Number three god is good. Yes God is good. I can Write it down. I can know his nature. So we find stability in the word of God, right? But his nature is shown in the word of God. That nature, that, that, that attribute of his ways and his character, that's what you're seeking. It is his nature. You know, the Bible takes time to convey these stories in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And think about it. God doesn't need to explain himself to you, but he chooses to do it. He chooses to convey who he is in hard situations, who he is when the pressure's on his people, how he defends his people. He takes time to convey his nature to his people because he wants you to know, be able to depend on his nature. What does the Bible say? Psalm 100 and verse 5. For the Lord is, say it would be, the Lord is good. What does it say in Psalm one hundred and seven ten? Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. We need to have that settled in us. Now, I'm the lofty age of 35, and uh, but I've been around the church for a while, and I've gone through this discussion with some people in my life about I, I feel like the church has lost some things that we were really good at in the past, and, and we need to go back to some of those things. And and New Chapel actually—that's some of the, our name. Like we have a new presentation of the gospel for sure, but Chapel, like it's a sacred message. And I was thinking about some of the things that I loved about the church that I was engaged in when I found Jesus. And we had this thing, and I'm just going to put it out there. We'll see how old you are. We would say, God is good. And all the time, you are really old. This is great. (laughs) This is great. So, so so, for the younger generation amongst us, and you have no idea what that was, you might think that you're a first-time visitor at a cult today because we all did that. We're not. We're not. I just want to—this is an all-play. Everybody now, God is good and all the time. You, you should keep that in your pocket because there's some things that we learned early on. I feel like we got too bougie-bougie as the church. We, we dropped Wednesday services. We came everything down to—and— I think that some of the magic, if you will, has been lost, and we need to remember these anthems and put them into our young people. Can I hear an amen, somebody? God's goodness is the foundation of our faith, and it is so even when we mess up. So I found a a pretty perspective, uh, like an interesting perspective, I should say, on on sin, and and here it is. All sin can be based in a distrust of God. Now, I get it. Sin is falling short of the glory of God, yes. But if I trust in the Lord, I acknowledge all his ways, he's going to direct my path. So in other words, like, if I'm, if I'm in sync with God and I'm on the path, I'm, I'm in sync with his word. Does that make sense? And so if I'm, if I'm out of that, if I'm out of that trust relationship with him, I'm doing my own thing, it's, it's based in distrust. I don't trust that the Lord is directing me in the right way. Let me give you maybe a clear example. Pastor, I'm so busy. We just got to go. We got to get against the practice. We've got so much stuff. We got to go hit that game. We got to And you're you're running yourself ragged. And somebody's like, you need to take a day off. You're looking pretty bent out of shape. You're like, I don't have time for a day off. Oh, so your God's so small that he can't bless your work and give you rest every single week. That burn anybody else besides me? (laughs) See, see, it's a distrust that that he doesn't want to bless you and get everything done. And be able to sustain you through it all. I'm worried all the time, Pastor Joe. You're worried because you don't trust God. You don't think God's thinking about you. You don't think that he has your best interest in mind, that he's trying to lead you towards his best. And so every sin is, is based in this distrust of God. And so whatever like pet sin you're dealing with, can I just propose to you today? It's actually more of a distrust issue than maybe you're giving it credit for. You're trying to deal with a sin. You're trying to, like, do behavior modification on it. You're trying to, like, pick the fruit. God wants you to ax the tree. And that is you've got something in between him and you, and it is growing, and it's bearing fruit and it's an area of distrust, think about that. In every one of our lives, we have an orchard, trust me. But there are things in between you and God. You've got to deal with that. You can go and try to do behavior management, and there's nothing wrong with being conscious of not doing evil. But what I'm saying is, do it out of a heart that says, God, I trust you. What am I really questioning you on that I should have faith in? Does that make sense, everybody? He's better, can I put it this way? He's better than you're litting on. He's good. Number four, God is good. I can be, oh, look at you. Oh, why not? God is good all the time. time? Thank you. That was for me. Number four, I can be confident. I can be confident in my relationship with God. Several years ago, I was working for a leader, and this leader was the genius in the thousand helpers. He was the leader that had the moving goalposts, and here's what I mean for those of you that are not sport people. Um... Imagine you're in the middle of the field in a huddle on a football field, and you say, ready, break, and everybody just goes in a different direction. Because the goal posts in the end zone, they're moving all the time. They're changing all the time. They're changing. And, and the, so the team would be fighting for a goal. We'd be fighting to get something done, and we'd be really close to achieving it. Or we would achieve it, but the goal would shift on us, and everybody's running this direction. Stop. Okay, we're going to run over here. And here's what happened. Nobody knew where they stood with this leader. They couldn't have confidence because everything was changing all the time. He was erratic and unpredictable and testy. Lord Almighty, was he testy. And what it did was it made people insecure in their relationship with him, yeah. But also, we think that things like that are just benign on our soul. No, it makes you aimless. It makes you like, like undermine what God is saying to you because you don't know, because you don't have confidence. And I learned this, that they didn't have a solid relationship, and therefore, that team lost momentum. He surrounded himself with people that had nothing to say, and unfortunately, when you do that, you surround yourself with no one to say anything. And so that that confidence went away, but I realized that confidence, write this down, it's not a slide, but confidence is a byproduct of predictability. Write that down. Leaders, business owners, that's a big one. Confidence is a byproduct of predictability. Now, that's a great leadership point, not my message. But with God, how can you have confidence in him? How can you be confident in your relationship with him? Through his track record he shows himself a certain way again and again and again and again i am the lord i change not i'm the same yesterday today and for, you know the bible says that he's no respecter of persons In other words, if anyone's ever gotten healed by God, God wants to heal you. God's ever seen anybody through to the end? He wants to see you through to the end. Your God is good, everybody. And we have to base our confidence and our relationship with him on what we see him performing in our life. You know, growing up, my sister and I, we were in an environment full of poverty and abuse and neglect. An inconsistency. So many variables, so many changes, so many things that would go wrong, so many things that we thought were going to be one way and they would turn out a different way. And I remember when I found the real Jesus, when I rededicated, I was 17, September, I'm sorry, June 4th, 2004, it was a Saturday night service. I rededicated my life to Christ and I saw the scripture for the first time. Nobody had ever shared it with me. And it's the great dividing line of the Bible. It's John's Gospel, chapter 10 and verse 10. The thief, the enemy, the enemy of your soul, the devil. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus puts the great dividing line of all Scripture. And he says, but I've come. The reason why I'm here, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full." Jesus is our standard for theology. The good things in your life come from God. The bad things in this world come from the devil. The Bible says that he is the good God and that every good gift comes from him. And he is the God who has no variation nor shadow of turning. He's not going to change his mind on you. So you can be confident in your relationship with him. Well, when I found God and I found that scripture, I'm starting to realize the goodness of God. I'm taking my steps of faith and trusting him. I was reaching out to my sister. And I said, Jamie, I got to share this with you. And I'm I'm talking about because we were we grew up at Rusty Nail Community Church. Everybody where it was like, God's good. But really, you should just get saved, act right, get baptized and die like that. God has a great plan for your life. Act right. And, and we had a lot of shame and guilt and then, of course, a lot of baggage from our childhood. And, and going through a childhood like that, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm not soliciting any sympathy or anything, but uh, it makes you question a lot. It makes you question a lot of people. makes you question a lot of motives. And so as I begin to realize about the goodness of God, I'm conveying it to her. And I said, the thief comes not but the steal, kill, destroy. Jesus said he came that you could have life and have it to the full. And my sister got it. The lights turned on, but my sister was still wild. And so as I'm teaching, she's like, yeah, yeah. And, and so I said, so God is good all the time. You know, she's like, "Wow, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And, and so as I'm conveying this to her, I said, God's a good God and the devil's a bad devil. And Jamie says, well, boop, the devil. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I'm not saying that's what we teach people at our new believers group here at the church, but. God will meet you exactly where you're at. And that's where she was at. And I said, praise the Lord. (laughs) Because she got it. And I hope that you get it today. I hope that you get that he's so good, better than you could understand. Jesus even says, you give good gifts to your kids. How much more am I giving to my kids? You you think you're a good parent because you're taking care of your kids. I'm a better dad than you. And that's not to diminish, you good parents of the room. It's to say, God is awesome. He's looking out for all of us. The confidence is a byproduct of predictability, and you can trust a God who has never lied, who has made the decision that I'm not going to be tempted by evil, nor will I have any part in it, that you can trust what he says, his word, and that he's not going to change in all of it. And I want to give you one last verse, and I want to pray for us today. It's Jeremiah chapter 17. The scripture says, This blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. Listen to me, New Chapel. Your God is good. Amen, somebody? We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com slash watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.